Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. This one is when Mike Donahue and I remember some crap. So we're going to remember some crap. And typically we've been remember started kicking it off with whoever the Bears are playing. And um, that's the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Thursday. They don't even, we don't even get to wait a full week. I, I, I would, Mike, I'm sure you're as excited as I am to see them play uh, four days after the last time we saw him. Right. Bring it on. Yeah. I'm was, ready. I hope it's as exciting as that one was. The longest game where nothing happened in NFL history. Yeah, I guess if I if you're to if I would have one takeaway from that is that the Colts might be pretty good. The defense for the Bears played well and they're not gonna win them all. It's kinda ridiculous that they were three and anyway. Um but yeah, another another game tomorrow. But they are three and one and so are the Bucks. One of the few times, I should have probably looked this up, that both teams will have a winning record when they face each other. We could probably look that up while we talk, but that's a good point. It can't have happened too much because they're either both bad or one is bad and one is good. They're very rarely ever good at the same time. Sounds about right. So one of the things we like to kick around, at least I like, I like to torture you with, um, because I would not have guessed... um, who do you think the all-time leading scorer in Tampa Bay Buccaneer history is? Is it place kicker Donald Iguebique? <laughs> it's not, but now I'm wondering how high he is. Um, I don't think he's on the list. I just not like not to Donald give it away Iguebique. too quickly, but it is a kicker. And oh, he's, is it? Oh. He's famous for something very embarrassing. Well, it, it's one of – that could be two. That, 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 that pretty much gives you as much insight on the Tampa <laughs> – franchise because more the specific first, about embarrassing kickers well the first one I'm thinking of is martin grammatica but it's his brother bill i want to say that did something embarrassing which was oh, celebrate right. like a, a 28 yard that's field right. goal and then pull his acl for in the, the process giants is that who he was kicking for uh I, I always thought it was martin so i'd, I'd be smirched Martin Grammatic. Right. It was his damn was brother, his brother, Bill. It was like, but they were both identical. They, they had these histrionics when they would kick ordinary field goals of yes. you know, me- meager distance. Yeah, they're not afraid to celebrate. But I, I apologize to Martin because that's like blaming Jimmy Carter for Billy Beer. <laughs> well, but that still leaves us with another Tampa kicker, at least, that had a very embarrassing moment, although it was not with the Buccaneers, but the place kicker for Tampa when I first started uh, following in 1979, I believe, would have been Garo Upremian, who, oh, yes. of course, is better known as uh, is, um, uh, you know, leading, throwing an interception somehow. Uh, the, the, the Cypress-born Upremian uh, managed to get a loose snap and, uh, and some – Bizarre attempt at throwing a football, managed to just knock it up in the air for the only points that Washington scored in Super Bowl seven. But he was the Bucks' place kicker um, in the late seventies. Yeah. So. yeah, you'd not be surprised that Yarrow, not the all-time leading scorer, he's fortieth. Uh, yeah, for the Bucks. Yes, for the Bucks. Um, but there are. Uh, it some, is a ki- there did are you say s- it was a kicker though? Or yeah, no? well, I thought I gave it away. Because I thought it was. Oh, because it is Grammatica. It's Martin Grammatica. Yes. Okay. By uh, 90 points over another kicker, Michael Husted. Former okay. Bear Connor Barth is third. And then Mike Allstadt, the first real football player on the list. Donald E. BK, sixth. So that's a pretty good. Yep. Guess. 
Bad. Okay. Right. I wonder. I wonder how that rates um, as far as like a franchise's top eight scores. Is that common? You would think maybe more common for teams that like Tampa expanded into the league from the late seventies yeah. onward. Probably. You think, you think just if you were bad for a long time, kickers are dominating your scoring. Is yeah. that your theory? Yeah. So the quickly so. the uh, uh, top ten: Martin Gramatica, Michael Hughes, Connor Barth. So all kickers. Mike Allstott, fullback. Fullback. Well, that's even weird. Right. That it's a not fullback. Even J- not even James Wilder. Right. Then Ricky Matt Bell. Bryant, kicker. Donald Iguabuike, kicker. Okay. Mike okay. Evans, wide receiver. There's James Wilder. Wow. Jimmy okay. Giles. Jimmy and Giles. And Bill Capice. Don't even know. Uh, Bill Capice will come up later when uh, I'm running through uh, John McKay quotes. Oh, he, great. He, he, when he cut Bill Capice, his quote was, Bill Capice is kaput. <laughs> that's a good one to sort of throw out there. It kind of gives us a teaser of the McKay quotes. Yeah. So you got to stick around. That's it. You, if you want to get the, the good stuff, the John McKay <laughs> the quotes, full, you got uh, you to you know, bear with us. The full McKay. Uh, winning as coach in Tampa history? Um, it wouldn't be the aforementioned Lehman Bennett. I'm just kidding. He also the coach There's, in Tampa. They have, they've, we got a few duplicates from our Falcons. Uh, it's got, it's got to be Dungy, right? Because he was there a long time. I mean, Gruden took him to the Super Bowl after Dungy. It is, it is not Dungy. It's he Ooh. by three games. He's not. He has the highest winning percentage, but another coach has more wins. Is it Gruden? It's Gruden. Yeah, <laughs> it so is. That was their, their glory years there. Um, their their two best their two winningest coaches uh, were back, back to back back to back. Yeah. And w- one of the weird things about Tampa, you'd expect a a, a exhibition or a uh, expansion team that was so famously bad for mm-hmm. so long. In their first thirty two years, they had seven coaches, which that, that seems like a lot, but it's but in the last um twelve years, they've had five. Okay, so they were more, they were much more stable in the early days. Uh, yeah, some of the uh, some of the luminaries on the list: uh, Lehman Bennett, Ray Perkins, oh, that's right. uh, Richard After. Williamson. I have no idea who. That I is. remember what, Richard Williamson. I think he uh, inherited the job after per- Perkins. Left. Perkins left the New York Giants to take the, to succeed Bear Bryant at Alabama, mm-hmm. and kind of uh, flamed out there and came crawling back to the NFL for that Tampa job. And then he didn't finish there, and that Richard, uh, whatever, Williamson. Yeah, yeah. I vaguely remember yeah, him. Perkins got fired uh, 13 games into the 1990 season. God, you think he'd let the guy coach the last three games? Williamson was the offensive coordinator, and he took over for mm-hmm. for the last three. That was, yeah, that was really Although deep. Then he the, got the job, and he went 4 and 15 before he got canned. And then Sam White. Okay. If you don't live in Cleveland, then Dungey, Gruden, the great Raheem Morris. Forgot about Greg Schiano when the whole team got MRSA. And, and he buried a body football. Body parts were falling off, yes. Um, our our buddy, Lovey Smith. Okay. Who we were saying right before we came on was uh, shockingly bad in two seasons there, 8 and 24. Poor Although Lovie. I think it was really bad year one getting better year two and then because they had drafted Jameis they wanted a uh, they wanted okay. a Jameis whisperer so Dirk Cutter got to be the coach they canned him after two years and now uh, Bruce Arians is there and Jameis uh, is not 
I don't even remember the Dirk Cutter era, and that was just the last two years. <laughs> yeah. There's not much to remember. 19 and 29 in three seasons. And now. Well, the the the, fir- the first coach that I remember is, is McKay. And, um, you know, for Steve Stone voice, for all you youngsters um, at home, he was definitely a colorful character. Uh, however, he was not liked at all uh, in our, I think, in, in our household because um, McKay had, uh, bef- before, you know, Tampa was founded in 76, and McKay had come from the University of Southern California, which, as I've mentioned before, grew up in a house that was um, very, you know, pro Notre Dame football, Bears football. And there's that rivalry between Notre Dame and Southern Cal. There was a game in 74 where Notre Dame had a 24 nothing lead. Um, and I think Southern Cal scored right before the half and ended up blowing them out 55, 24. It's kind of one of these games that people talked about. I was even referenced these, uh, the wrong stuff, uh, Bill Lee, the four major league pitcher who wrote a very funny book in the early eighties when he burned every bridge he could, uh, in walking out of the Montreal Expo's office of general manager, John McHale, who was a Notre Damer. And even in that point, uh, Lee referenced the, that game from eight years earlier about McHale was still sore about what Southern Cal did. So not huge fans of McKay, even though he objectively had a very good personality. But one of my earliest memories was as bad as they were in 76 and 77 when they came in the league. McKay was their coach, and we're going to get to some of the funny shit he said. But even by expansion team standards, they were awful. Uh, They went winless the first year. I think they lost the first nine, ten games um, the next year, and I'm pretty sure that's still an NFL record. But just as sort of astonishingly, within two years after that, just when I came along, uh, they were playing for a trip to the Super Bowl, and that was in 79 when the Bears kind of – uh, had one of those one-offs and happened to be the first year that I was watching when they did make the playoffs. But early in the year, they were, they were facing a suddenly, you know, su- suddenly uh, competent Tampa team. And they did have Leroy Selman, who I want to say was a future, was a, eventually a hall of famer on defense. And it was a tight game at soldier field and the bears lost. And I just remember my dad uh, yelling at the TV screen as they showed John McKay, you know, now there's about a decade. Of, of pain associated with them that you sleep in your underwear, McKay, which I still don't know. I still a, don't know what the great, hell that means. Yeah. A great non sequitur. You sleep it's, in your underwear. It, it, it's some sort of a generational insult from people that were born during the depression. Uh, but it, I mean, he was frothing mad. It was not a, it was not a nicety to tell someone that even though I thought we all slept in our underwear. So um, the, uh, go ahead. yeah, the bucks famously lost their first 26 games. They were own 14 their first year. And then they lost their first 12 the next season. Do you know who the last team that beat them in the losing streak was? Uh, the last team that I see, I always thought the, the 20, the, the 26 straight loss. Who was that team? Okay. Then if it's the, see, I have no idea. I always thought, and I could be wrong here that the team that they beat to end the streak was the bears. That is not correct. But, but the, so the Bears were the last team the to Bears, beat them. Yes, the Bears were the That's last team with the 26th in a row. They then beat the Saints the next oh, week, which makes sense because the Saints right. were dog shit right. at the time. Um, so you're right. Wow. And so in 79, they play for the NFC Championship game. They, they play for the NFC Championship, and they lose 9 nothing, 9 nothing to Vince Ferragamo. Yes. And the I'm, Rams. And uh, otherwise, they, they would have completely screwed up. Uh, heaven can wait because right. <laughs> uh, Warren Beatty would either had to have, I'm sure he would have just been what the 
Steelers quarterback doesn't make any sense. He's got to be in California. So um, it was did, the did fix he, was probably in. So the, uh, wait, wait, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it was all a coincidence. More, uh, more arrestingly, because of the fact that the movie came out the year the Rams went to the Super Bowl. Right. That's right. That's so your... there's there's the the game. The big game is footage from the Super Bowl. I'm sure they would have just used a different game. Right. Okay. But they had that. Uh, they had that. Whoa. Sort of handed to them. Yeah. That opportunity. So. But some yeah. of the weird things about I mean, maybe it just shows how football has changed in the last. Um, what is that now? Thirty. Since seventy six. Forty one years. Forty one years. Since seventy nine. Yeah. Doug Williams was the quarterback for mm. Tampa. He completed forty one percent of his passes. He threw 18 touchdowns and 24 picks. And that was a guy that was, I'm sure he got MVP votes. Um, yeah, that was, I remember like, it's it just kind of a rule of thumb. It, you made fun of the, if your quarterback, if they completed less than 50% of their passes, that was kind of the Terry Bradshaw. Well, he's right. good. He completes just over half his passes. Now, if you don't complete 70%, they just think is you're it, dog shit. Or you're is that what? Isn't that where we're at now? Seventy? Because I do remember fifty was the Mitch was like fifty six, and it was the yeah. it was terrible. So, yeah. um, so obviously they they did a lot of damage on the ground. Ricky Bell ran for twelve hundred yards. Okay. Jerry Eckwood ran for six hundred ninety, and Johnny Davis for two twenty one. But they were a defensive team. They had they had Leroy Selman. Selman for sure, yeah. And, um, and you mentioned Jimmy Giles, so he was a tight end, so he must have been a premier tight end. All I remember is that the subsequent season in 1980, they played on a Monday night game in Soldier Field. Jimmy Giles was one of the victims of, of a Doug Plank missile, I guess. And, and in fact, if you, I would be willing to wager that if you, uh, if you YouTube that or Google that, you'd find some footage of Doug Plank basically almost just. Ending, ending Jimmy Giles' life. They also had, and this is probably why they were so good in 79. They had either a wide receiver or a tight end. doesn't say, but I'm guessing. Oh, he's a tight end. Makes sense. They had Jim Obradovich. Whoa. I That's had to be, I'm pretty sure that had to be. Jim Obradovich. It had to be a relation, right? I don't recall. Well, how many Obradoviches could there be? <laughs> I mean, how how do you come up with that name anyway? I'm Irish, right? And like, I I like to think I can identify uh, Irish names, and usually you can assume if there's an O apostrophe, but then you have like this sort of Slavic yeah, the Vich part that doesn't fit. <laughs> Bradovich, this three, this trisyllabic. Where did uh, where did Ed go to school? I guess I could look this up. God, I wish I knew that. I don't know. This Obradovich went to USC, which makes sense because. Well, and if if this one maybe grew Jim up McKay, around Chicago, John McKay just signed every all of his old. I'm gonna guess yes. Ob went to. Um, Ob was actually born in Melrose Illinois. Park. Uh, yes, he did. Nice call. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't. I wasn't aware that Obradovich actually was a Chicago guy. It makes sense. He's born in Melrose Park. I do remember eating at his restaurant like in 1980. It's the first time I ever heard of Ed Obradovich. What did they just? They just put like raw meat out in the middle of the table and it was, just it was, grabbed a handful. It was like a nice restaurant that we were not really accustomed to. It was uh, relatives of my parents that were taking them. My dad had done uh, my cousin's taxes or something. And I remember like it, it was it was nice for our taste. I might not be saying a lot, but it, was, it didn't have a pool, did it? 
I don't recall. No, that's, I'm <laughs> gonna, I shouldn't go there. That's bad. <laughs> I'll leave it. Okay, so we're talking about Jim McKay. John McKay. John Jim McKay. McKay. Jim McKay. John McKay. Um, They're all gone. Yeah, he was either, <laughs> right, either doing the Sorry. Olympics on ABC or uh, he's coaching uh, USC in Tampa. So one of the things he's most well known for, and yes, he was a he was also a scourge in our household because um, my dad is a huge Notre Dame fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was undeniably uh, he wasn't just funny; he was a smartass, acerbic. Yes, and he at some point in his life, probably relatively early, just decided that he wasn't going to take any sports writer question seriously. Which is a great way to do it if you can get away with it. And he could because he'd won so many games at USC and they paid him so, at the relative to the time, they paid him so much for at Tampa, which is, a, he admitted it was the whole reason he went. It was basically Dusty managing the Cubs to pay off his income tax, um, right. his back taxes. This was um, John going uh, to Tampa to coach an expansion football team. So the, cash, the quote cash. I think he's most famous for is a during the losing streak, a uh, reporter asked about his team's execution, and his answer was, I'm in favor of it. Just classic. Yeah, it's just a, just a, yeah, just brilliant. I, I, I've had to appreciate McKay and kind of get away from the biases that we had because these are, that's, that's just a brilliant, uh, a brilliant line. One of his other ones, which I believe is on, there's a, uh, one of the uh, NFL films, Football Follies, just has an, a, like five minutes of him. Uh, saying funny stuff. And one of them was, uh, we can't win at home, and we can't win on the road. I've petitioned the NFL to play all neutral site games, but I don't think they're going to go for it. <laughs> I like that. Um, he said, then during his first year, he said, we've broken down the expansion teams, and they've averaged winning 2.7 games their first year, which to me is rather difficult. I figured out the two, but the point seven has got me wondering what the hell is going on. <laughs> Uh, he once said, we didn't tackle well today, but we made up for it by not blocking, uh, which is, uh, <laughs> um, one of this, this, I think this is a sound strategy. He said, uh, he was asked literally about his team's blocking strategy. And he said, hold when you're at home and don't hold when you're on the road. I like bad. that. No, pretty sage advice. Uh, he said, emotion is highly overrated in football. My wife, Corky, is emotional as hell, but can't play football worth a damn. Problematic. Yes, he, could not, he couldn't get away with that now. Um, now, I have made a version of this joke. Where did I put it? Oh, I may have. Is it, is it a McKay original, or was he yes. also being reductive? Well, I don't know. Okay. I, I think he may have come up with this. It was during that first season, and um, they asked him um, – it must have been early on in the season. They asked him for the team's outlook, and he said, "We're only three or four plane crashes away from the playoffs," <laughs> <laughs> which is just tremendous. That's great. And just I, saying, I have it. I've made that joke about the Cubs probably. Yeah, times. no, I know you have, and it's it's always gotten a laugh out of me. Uh, funny that he, he, that's another one that actually just for sensitivity reasons would be problematic. Yeah, see, right. He would say that today. half his quotes would, would get his ass fired today. Uh, he once but said, that, if you have experience back from a team that lost 10 games, the experience isn't too important. That's not, <laughs> that's true. Kickers are like horse manure. They're all over the place. Um, he was for some reason asked to compare coaching an expansion team to a religious experience. And he said, you do a lot of praying, but most of the time the answer is no. (laughs) 
Um, That's good. <laughs> he's talking about the special special teams, and he said uh, they were absolutely horrible. And that's the best thing I can say. Besides that, they were bad. These people are not poorly paid, you know. So I kind of like that. <laughs> um, wow, it's pretty all encompassing. Be down to the. I think we have one more here. Oh, there's two more. Um, when he heard that one of the kickers during training camp, the guy named Pete Rejecki, had said he was nervous kicking in front of his coach, McKay, <laughs> McKay told the press, "Tell Mr. Rejecki that I plan to attend all the games." <laughs> And my, probably my third favorite quote of all time, uh, he once said, if a contest had 97 prizes, the 98th would be a trip to Green Bay. <laughs> How could you not like him a little That's bit That's basically that the first prize is two tickets and second prize is four. That's <laughs> exactly. Cool. That's pretty clever. Dead or alive, John McKay? Oh, dead. Is he? He was old then. He was. Yeah, Silver Fox. Uh, you're right, because, I mean, you know, he's got a coaching career that probably goes back to the 40s. I mean, those Southern Cal teams were – he was there. I mean, he coached OJ, I'm assuming. I mean, he, was, he had to have been there a while. He recently did, if recently is 19 years ago. Quite a while. And I got confused, because he's not related to the Rams coach, but the Rams coach also has a dad that supposedly football people know. As a, as well, a, that's McVeigh. Yeah. They, oh, the, yeah. Well, the letter, right. the, the different letter right. in the name, probably. It tends, it tends to be a bit of a differentiator. Yeah. He was... Uh, never, never mind. So, McKay um, was a head coach only two places in his entire career, USC and the Bucks. That's incredible. Um, he... And he really didn't have much of a. This is so he okay. He was an assistant coach at Oregon for eight years. Then at USC for one. Then he was their coach for sixteen seasons. He won one hundred and twenty-seven games, four national championships, nine conference yeah. titles. Four national championships is yeah. that's Sabanesque. Uh, and then uh, in the NFL, he was 44, 88, and one. But that includes two division championships, mm-hmm. and you know it's pretty good when you start only yeah. twenty-six. Right, yeah. and that's what brings me back to '79. I think, like, I wasn't really when I started watching. I was not aware of their recent awful, laughable history. I think it was more confounding to the older people around, where all of a sudden they went from being a laughing stock, like I said, to being on the on the verge of the Super Bowl. But the funny thing is, then they were tough '79, '80, '81, '82, and then just as quickly they went back to sucking around '84, and and then it was like ten years. And that kind of brings us to your point where. Very rarely have both teams played each other while they were, you know, had winning records. I mean, that's without you looking it up, but I, I can vouch for that because each team has had very long stretches of being bad. Yes. Um, when they when they were, when they were good under Gruden and whatnot, you know, the Bears maybe in '01 matched them, and they would have faced in that year because that would have been the last year they were division rivals. Bears beat them twice that year, actually, but. They usually didn't face each other, and they're both good. One of the things I remembered inexplicably, um, I gotta find the game here. It's great when I do this. Yeah, so it was the opener in '85. I was there. James Wilder went what nuts in the first. Yeah. The Bears, the, the Bears defense actually allowed 28 first right. half points in that game, yeah, and that was on. all they allowed. But yes, they scored 28. <laughs> the the uh, only team that scored more points against the Bears that year was. The other team from Florida? Right, yeah. And that, we like to pretend that didn't happen, but it did. Right. 
Um, yeah, it was kind of it was kind of weird, but the Bears' offense, and that's what made the Bears next level, was the healthy McMahon and McKinnon and Galt and whatnot, because they just they they gave Bears got twenty eight points, but I don't know what the score at halftime was, but it wasn't like Tampa was beating their ass. It was just a high scoring first half. Twenty eight seventeen at the half. Yeah, yeah, and then forty five twenty eight was the final. Thirty hot that day. Thirty eight twenty eight. Okay. Yeah, they shut them down in the second half. Yeah. Um, wow, that is funny. They weren't that good by 85, but Wilder no, was a good running they, back. Maybe it was, you know, it was hot. Maybe that was it. It was 81. It was hot. 81 degrees, 79% mm-hmm. humidity. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bears covered and uh, the overhit for one of the probably. The- well, <laughs> right. Jimmy the Greek was happy that day in the studio <laughs> after the game. You know, Brent, I think there's going to be, that's going to be a higher, more higher scoring than people think. Wink, wink, wink. <laughs> Although, actually, I'm trying to think what year it was. Early on with Jimmy the Greek, they just put the point spreads right up on his board. And then at some point, they he had to start like talking in code. That's how I learned what point spreads were when yeah, watching the Pete, NFL him today. Him and Pete Axtell. Pete Axtell always had the spread, And NBC, too. right. Pete yeah. Axtell was always a little bit of like a Jimmy the Greek, poor man's Jimmy the yeah. Greek. I mean, he had his own career and was known in those circles, but Jimmy the Greek was really the guy. But you're right. Pete Axtell on, on NBC right. did the same role. and that. But I remember like watching the pregame and asking my dad, what does that number mean? And then <laughs> le- learning the intricacies of point spreads. Yeah, so then at some point, uh, the NFL – leaned on both networks and so then you got jimmy would say stuff like i think the game's gonna be closer than the experts think he basically taught brent everything he learned about how to sneak it into the broadcast you know, and I, say I, it I never, without saying it i never drew that connection because i know musburger is not only covertly into that in his broadcast but he's he's a very much proponent i think he's got a stake in a lot of these enterprises well, right he, and, he he's the I don't know if he's the uh, owner, but he's uh, one of the uh, major owners of um, Veasan, which is uh, the Vegas Sports and Information Network. Yeah, would that be and his it, friends in the desert? Yes, and he does my guys in the desert. That's Brent. My show. guys in the desert. That's it. And the morning show is on Marquee. Oh, that's right. I think I heard that. I don't have Marquee, but okay. Yeah, you're not missing anything. I know I'm not. I know I'm not. Uh, but I didn't draw the connection that all that studio time, I side with one James Snyder. Yeah, and I think a- actually a- a- the Greek. I think we should have Brent on the podcast. I'm sure he'll come on. Um, actually, he probably would. I think if he spent I think, time in Chicago, I think Brent is available. Ago. His brother Todd still lives in Chicago. The agent for Phil Jackson, yes. right? Um, That's right. I th- I'm pretty sure Brent started th- throwing in the little things as like a kind of a uh, tribute to Jimmy. Interesting. In the ABC game. Although I still don't know where, you know, one of Brent's most famous ones was, um, I, it, had, it had to be a national title game. It was in the Fiesta Bowl, and they were li- the team, one team was lining up for the winning kick, and Brent said, this one's for all the Tostitos. <laughs> 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 okay, Brent, maybe, might be time to put the act away. But he's the, um, Brent is in his 80s now, I think. He should, yeah. He's the radio announcer for the Raiders. Wow. And has been for the last few years. He he took the job. I think maybe the last two, the the last two years they're in Oakland, knowing they were moving to Vegas, and he lives in Vegas. So of he course, would, he would fly to Oakland and uh, do the games. I, I've always found it interesting where like nationally recognizable uh, broad on air talent would also have like a permanent gig, like Dick Enberg with California Angels. 
Yeah, um, Dick's last job was the Padres. I mean, that, that for years before he uh, went toes up. Yeah, and um, I, the other one escapes me, but the, it, it had jumped to mind. But it's funny. Oh, Don Cricky doing Notre Dame football. Of course, Don Cricky kind of faded off the scene anyway. But well, for, yeah, I mean, Don. For, um, when he who did he say had white man's disease? Oh, do you remember I don't that? Recall. Oh, no. yeah, that was a. It was a. It was. It was. was, he it, was he, it, Don Cricky canceled? Is that what you're saying? Not, not quite. But it basically it it. It basically meant he was never going to be the number one guy on NBC. And he never was. Like, we all no. knew who he was in the 80s. Yeah, in fact, he, one of my he, favorite announcing teams of NFL announcing teams of all time was Don Cricky and Bob, and Bob Trumpy. Bob Trumpy. For whatever right. reason, I always really liked those two. So they were the number two behind Enberg and Merlin Olsen, yes. right? Yep. Uh, it may have been a – I'm pretty sure it was a college basketball game. And my dad remembered it because he thought it was so funny. Which is a window into my dad, but um, yeah, I, a guy got out jumped for a rebound, and Don said that he suffered from white man's disease. <laughs> <laughs> and even then, they were like, "No, Don, you no, you, yeah, you can't." See, I don't, I don't remember that, but it would have been all right. It was that the are you saying that's the thing that would have prevented him from being the number one guy, or maybe well, I the know fact it, that he... I know what was like famous about him. It was, obviously wasn't enough for NBC to fire him. Yeah, or for I mean, me to really remember that, which I I, I can't believe I don't was, remember that. But he was good, and maybe it was he just was. the fact that Enberg he, he, was there, and he was never going to get that job well, anyway. He had that classic uh, broadcast broadcaster voice. Yeah. Uh, you talked before about the excitement of the rare instances when the Bears were on NBC, and if it was maybe the color, yeah. but like yeah, Don Cricky's voice was kind of one of those elements where, uh, yeah, it felt like a big game. So it's funny. That we can, you know, we're both members of the Don Cricky Appreciation Club. Now, it wasn't always great. I don't, do you remember? Um, it was. I don't remember what year this would have been. It would have been. I'm sure just post Super Bowl. But um, um, Charlie Jones did a did a Bears Steelers game, and Is um, the one that got Otis Wilson yeah, suspended. And Otis yeah. Wilson took out Lewis Lips, mm-hmm. and uh, it pissed. And Charlie Jones went on and on about what a dirty play it was, and he uh-huh. got suspended. And that's when Ditka said the. He goes, well, clearly Charlie Jones is the most powerful man in the NFL. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, that was ridiculous. Uh, I can still see it. Lewis I don't Lips. Know what, Lewis Lips sinks ships. That, that was one of the NBC promos that they used early in his career. Okay, so the only other Bucks thing I wanted to talk about was um, it always amused me that – you know, it looked like, I don't know, I should look it up. Whatever year it was, when they got the number one pick and they got Vinny Testaverde, it looked like, all right, the this is, you know, he was a, because he was a great college quarterback. Thought, was this, right. was that 85? Did they also draft Bo Jackson then the next year? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I, I started to interrupt that because no, I want to get fine. back on it, but they were so bad that I believe they had consecutive number one picks. Maybe took- Testaverde was a number one pick. Oh, yeah, Vinny was number one overall in 1987. 87. Jackson was 86. He okay. was, um, yeah, he was, as, he was as big a pick as you could get at the time. Um, well, let's look and see when Bo got picked before I get to my. I thought Bo for, was originally the first pick in the draft. Bo- in pulled Tampa to go take a hike. I might be wrong. If so, I yeah, really Bo's- apologize. Bo's first year. Bo was the first pick. Yep, the year before, in 86, which is, I'm sure, why they got, yes, by the Bucks. Uh, Never signed. Um, 
and then ended up the very next year. Um, I wonder if it was this a, was he, was he a supplemental draft pick? You think the Raiders think got so. him? Raiders got him in the seventh round. He must have just gone back I, in the draft. That's right. Well, I think he had signed with the Royals, and they didn't know how serious he was. Yeah. So I, interesting. But, but the thing about Vinny that always amused me was he was Vinny's colorblind, and one of the big problems he had with Tampa was their home uniforms were the light orange. I don't even know what they call that color. Cream skull. And whenever, you know, obviously when they wore that, that was their dark jersey. So whenever they wore that jersey and they wore it, uh, especially once teams found out that this was the deal, some teams would make them wear it on the road. Vinny couldn't tell the difference between that and white. Uh, so, it seems like a problem. Yes. So there's your quarterback who can't tell which team is which. Yeah, that was great. Would, would account for the, what, 33 interceptions he had? Uh... Yeah, because he was only any good once he left. Well, at the end of his career, like he managed that. Yeah, I mean, it took in 20 years or whatever before he finally became a productive quarterback. Yeah. But 1998 with the Jets. It really yeah, seemed like some... at some point you might have, I don't know, maybe let's try a darker uniform. For the guy that we're right, paying all like, this well, how money. Did he, but how did it, how did it even come to that? It's just how did he even succeed at Miami? Is it strictly like the combination of well, I, yeah, probably, and that unusual color scheme that, uh, or it's the fact yeah. that in college, do especially when you're on a good team, dudes are wide open, and it becomes pretty obvious which one's which. And then you get to the I NFL, see. and everything's moving yeah, 100 miles gotta, an hour, and yeah, you're like, you gotta, oh, that's my guy. Oh shit, it's not. Yeah. Plus, I yeah. mean, Vinny was going to throw picks even when he could see the colors, but it didn't help. Um, yeah. Yeah. 47 picks in, uh, in, uh, 88 and 89 combined. So Vinny had, I was like this, games. I was like this too. So Vinny had a wardrobe consultant, um, pair all of his clothes together for him. And it's like he would, they would put ensembles together in his closet because he couldn't, you know, he right. couldn't tell what color was which. You, you can't go out looking like right. that. And um, another famous quarterback had his mother do that for him. Do you know who it was? Mitch, right? No, <laughs> well, wait. Maybe what Mitch, am I? No, 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 no. Wait, wait, say that again. So a Bears? No, not a Bear. Kid? Just a famous NFL quarterback had his mom actually made like you remember Garanimals? I do. So if. Incredible. You could pair the clothes match based on an animal. So like the your the shirt had like a <laughs> monkey on it and so did the so did the shorts and that was a combination. Well, this quarterback's mom went through his closet and basically color-coded things so that he knew what matched with what. So like she'd put all the all the shirts that could go with a certain pair of pants, she'd put like a color on the hanger and then he just had to match the colors on the hanger. And this and wasn't he, because he was colorblind. He no, was just it was because helpless. he was didn't know how to dress himself. So who do you think that quarterback was? I uh, I, I I don't know, but I want to know. Just tell me. That quarterback is Peyton Manning. Oh, that's. And apparently, it started with at the first, maybe even the first game he played. He wore, um, basically a Canadian tuxedo. He wore the jean jacket, a blue jean shirt and jeans and uh, his mom was so embarrassed by it that right. she went into his closet and basically idiot proofed his clothes. Wow. So 
podcast. <laughs> I've always loved that story. That's something. All right, so not only it's not just the Bucks who the Bears are playing. The Bears are. I don't know if people out there know this because I didn't get much attention. Apparently, Tom Brady is the quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers now. I don't know how this. I don't know how we missed this. What? Yes, apparently he is signed with Tampa. Um, uh, it sounds like he's living in Derek Jeter's house. Maybe him and Giselle running that for a year, and that he, uh, in the middle of the pandemic, he just wandered into somebody else's house. He thought he was going to, I think it was, maybe it was Bruce Arians, maybe it was one of the wide receivers. He was going to somebody's house to have a meeting, a face-to-face that he wasn't supposed to because of the COVID. And he just walked into the house, and somebody looked up, and there's Tom Brady standing in their house. And it was not the right house, but he's Tom Brady. He's handsome and charming, and they thought it was hilarious, and he left. If it had been, Mitch probably would have got shot. So it was a good thing. (laughs) Good thing it was Tom Brady and not him. Uh, but yes, and this could be the very last time the Bears, because they're not going to play Tampa every year, maybe in the Super Bowl next year. Um, well, I guess not the Super Bowl. In the NFC title game next year, they'll probably play them. That's right. But this could I, be the last time Bear fans get to see Tom Brady. I thought so, too, until I looked up and saw that Brady's already thrown for 1,100 yards, 11 touchdowns, four picks. Christ almighty. The guy well, he threw, five of those, he threw five of those touchdowns uh, three days ago. Still, that's two a game. To five different guys. So he's he's tuned up just in time for the Bears. Yeah. So um, as it turns out, and this will come as a shock to no one that's been conscious for the last 20 years, uh, it's still frustrating. But the Bears have never beaten Tom Brady. It kind of reminds me of the Cubs and Randy Johnson, whom they never beat. It came close a couple times. Bullpen blew a few games. You know, going all the way back to '89 when Johnson, before he was even traded uh, in the Mark Langston deal at the deadline, was called up and beat the Cubs as an expo, and then it never lost to him. <laughs> Granted, he was in the American League you know, for Seattle, but you know he pitched a long time. Similarly, um, the the Bears have never beaten that son of a bitch, and uh, he's had a long career. I um, we can. I, each game, I think anybody listening that's a Bears fan will probably have like one indelible moment probably from each and every one of these games. The funny thing is the first one was probably the closest the Bears came to beating him. Um, I have to insert myself into the story <laughs> to tell you not, not only that I went to this game, but I went with my dad and we drove the 190 miles uh, to Champaign oh, in yeah. 2002 because the Bears, of course, were renovating Soldier Field. And we're playing their games at U of I Stadium. Uh, 2002 was the year after the Bears had went 13 and three and made the playoffs. It was also the year after Brady won his first Super Bowl. And uh, this game, I don't remember a whole lot about it. I just remember that the Bears had it in the bag uh, down the stretch. And on fourth, I don't know if it was fourth down or third down or. I have to look this up because I might be a little bit off here, and that's fine. Uh, quick side note, last week, T.J. Brown had pointed out that um, Mike Ditka did not break his hand punching a bench in Baltimore but hit a locker, so I wanted to clarify that. Yeah, and I knew, uh, and I, and I knew that. I don't, know why I, I, I don't know why I always thought it was a bench, but yeah, like yeah. locker makes more sense. And also, the uh, here's your IQ buddy actually came after the Super Bowl, so I appreciate any edification. I'm, uh, I'm fallible, and I might be uh, fallible here, but what happened, it's one or the other, because I remember it is one thing, and then I, saw, I thought maybe something else. But they had the Bears had the lead, end of the game, less than two minutes. I thought it was fourth down, but Brady kind of got intercepted by Brian Robinson. What I thought would happen was Robinson caught the ball, tried to run, fumbled it, and gave and New England recovered, getting a fresh set of downs. But I think what really was Robinson 
would have just if he just sort of pulled the ball in and fallen down for the interception instead of trying to run with it while he was trying to catch it and put it on the ground. Uh, the game was basically over there. So Brady was, got picked off. So it was it was incomplete, not a fumble, but the same, I, I, basically right. the same effect because New England and got I, the ball back in the same spot, pretty much. Except if it was a fumble, it would have been a change of possession and a fresh set of downs. Yeah, that's, true. Uh, and I, that's how I remembered it, but it might that might not. It's one of those two things. I just remember how ridiculously close the Bears were just to finishing this game off. And of course, given a new life, even though it was early in his career, but you know, his one Super Bowl is a twenty three-year-old the year before was uh, a come from behind effort um, against the Rams. And so, yeah, given a second chance, he finds Troy Brown in the corner of the end zone to tie it, you know, right as the clock winds down, they win it overtime and uh, just to punctuate, you know, you drive all the way fucking down to Champaign in like late November, yeah. it's dark out, the bears the game way. Then what do we have to do? We get to get in our car and drive 190 miles in the dark back home uh, to Chicago uh, the next time they faced uh, the Bears, uh, the, faced the Patriots, was the year the Bears went to the Super Bowl. And I'm going to turn this around, Andy, and tell you, what is there one particular play? Do you have any particular memories about the year that the Bears played in New England in early December? Uh, Bears were legitimately good, unlike, you know, the 01 or 2010 team where they kind of, you know, got some breaks and made the playoffs. It was their second straight playoff appearance. They go into New England in early December. It was a close game. Um, what I remember about the indelible moment there is that uh, the Bears were trailing, but they were in the game still in the fourth quarter, maybe five, six minutes. Some of these specifics might be off. And they fr- they flushed Brady out of the pocket on third oh, down. Oh, God, yes. And? He, um, is that when he, fate, he, he bro- either broke a tackle or, or juked Brian Urlacher? He faked Urlacher clean out of his jockstrap. And got the son of, and Urlacher was kind of in his prime still. Uh, yeah. but managed, managed to get Urlacher was still a, was still yeah. a beast. He wasn't, you know, Oh two, maybe Oh three Oh four or like, he was still, yeah. you know, maybe on the downside of his prime, whatever Brady was, you know, Brady, they're about the same age. They're both in the 2000 draft. So they were total contemporaries. Uh, so it wasn't, you know, it was no shame in it. It was just frustrating that a son of a bitch managed to dodge getting yeah. dragged down. Brady's one of the slowest quarterbacks. Ever. He was never fast, even when he even now he's forty two or whatever. But he was never fast. So, right. Yeah. Right. That, that's probably why his game hasn't leveled off so much because he never did yeah, rely so much on his athletically. On his he's basically the same. So after two thousand six, the Bears faced them the next time in twenty ten. Another year in which the Bears went to the playoffs. So it seemed like the first three times the Bears played them, they were almost like a good team. That O two team was not good, but they were a year removed from the playoffs. In twenty ten, I went to this game too. Uh, we get like a foot of snow early December gets at a shitload of snow, uh, make it down to the game. You know, here, you know, what kind of game is this going to be? Of course the bears don't do a damn thing. Brady throws for 350 yards, two touchdowns. The Patriots pace the bears 37, 36 to seven. I think uh, was the score 2014. What stands out is the, the, the nadir of the Mark Tressman era. I think this was the game before the buy or after the buy. Cause like, Trustman's, as if there was any doubt, it it was extinguished in this three week period where going into the bye, the Bears lose like eighty eight to nothing, and then come out of the bye and get crushed. And I think it was New England before the bye, Green and Green Bay after. Yeah, I know it was. Both games were in the forties. Yeah, and, and I, with a bye in between. And I think the thing about that one was New England changed the turf the week before the game. 
is this somehow going to defend? They, no, that? no, no, no. Actually, it's it's a it's an indictment of the Bears. Um, they're I don't know if they were still. I think I guess they just had a grass field and it was shit. And they're like, fuck it, we're going to put field turf in, and we're not waiting until next year. We're going to do it right now. And so they've had a week off. They put the they put the new field turf in, and they played mm-hmm. a game on it where the Bears for years played on the worst surface in the world. And oh, so we can't put turf in. Uh, a first it was no, you know, football is meant to be played in grass. Right. So right, well, then right. grow some. If you don't know how to grow it, you can't do right. it. Right. Then their excuse for a long time was, oh, we can never host a World Cup game unless we have real grass. Yeah. So Which, you already you already hosted some World Cup games. It's never 94. coming back. Yeah, you're, right. you're fine. Then it was the seasons would get bad, and they're like, well, you know, that's a that's like a six month project. It's like, well, the Pats just did it in a fucking week. Yeah. So, and even if it was a six-month project, who cares? That place isn't even being used six no. months out well, of now, year. Well, so. now they got to share it with the fire. So there's no way they could possibly ever put grass in. But um, oh, man. Yeah, I remember that. Oh, and then, so is the next one? Well, 14, just the the, the memorable part was where uh, Brady or Garoppolo, I think Garoppolo may have even come into the game in the first half, gets sacked when Lamar Houston does a celebratory dance when they're down five touchdowns and blows out his knee. That's right. That's what stands out in that game. And then 2018 was actually akin to the 2002 game. That wasn't a nut punch, but it was actually the only other. Well, not the only other, but it was a competitive game. Mitch actually wasn't horrible. Close score, but they still lost. Brady that. Well, it's the game that ended with Kevin White on the one. He caught the. Oh, that's right. They, they caught the Hail Mary the at the one. Uh, they would That would have only tied the game. But had the Bears won that game, they would have had a bye, and they would not – Cody Parkey could probably still show his face because they would not have had to play the Eagles in the first round. They would have had a bye, and they would have played – they would have started in the second round where they probably would have played like the Eagles. And it probably was the same damn thing probably would have happened anyway. But they would have been one game closer to the Super Bowl – but they needed one yeah. more win, and the most obvious one was the one where they were three feet shy of tying. The, I mean, the Pats. They probably still like a, lost in overtime, but at least. You but know. The, well, and that was like a game that, even in spite of them hanging in, they didn't really feel mm. like they right. were going to win. That, that was a game, game that you felt like they were out but of. So they, and then so they, they had they had no other games that year where they may have pissed away that it would make well, you regret it. I don't know about that, but I mean, this one was literally on the very last play of the yeah. game. No, right? He's, okay, he's. He's so close, and it was like the it was like it summed up Kevin White, forever. of course, because he really right. it was a nice up short. it was a super athletic play to go uh-huh. up and get it, but he's a yard short, yeah, day late yeah. and a dollar short, and so yeah, Brady walks off the uh, the Soldier Field turf, and there's all of a sudden you know forty six year old Huey shouting, "You sleep in your underwear, Brady," just to honor the insult that my dad hurled at John McKay, but that's how I feel. I respect him, uh, but it kills me that the Bears have never beaten him, just like it killed me that the Cubs never beat Randy Johnson a single it, time. So it feels to me, I didn't look this up, because why would I want to actually do that? I was too busy reading John McKay quotes. <laughs> right. Um, it look feels it to me like we know, Mike Pusteri and I talk about this, I, I talk about more than he wants to, I think, on the on the sure. Bear podcast, about the, the saving grace for Nagy is that He's excellent in the division. He has never lost to the Lions. He's never lost to the Vikings. He's only one and three against the Packers, but I Wait, mean, they've done worse than that. The Bears have swept the Vikings the last two years? Yes. 
Mike Zimmer has never beaten Matt Nagy. That's now, the, uh... granted, the last time they played, the Vikings didn't try to win. Mm. Their playoff position it was in, but That's they right. they have he is he's four and zero against against uh, Zimmer. He's four and zero against the great Matt five and zero now against the great Matt Patricia, and yeah. he's one and three against the Packers. It feels to me like he's also good in the dark at night. Yes. Um, okay. The opening the opener last season not no, was that not was stand- actually no maybe not maybe dark at home. That was a okay. terrible game. And, of course, they played well in this very first game ever. That was a night game at Green Bay. It was a Sunday night game where they blew the – Aaron Rodgers uh, miraculously wandered back out on the field. The Bears blew the lead. Yep. Um, yep. Maybe it's all clouded in two games. Um, Rams? No, they're bad at night. I, I, now that I no. think about it, maybe no, not but home. Because like, you know, on the road, the, that, 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 the night game against the Rams – Last year was a debacle. Yeah, but two years ago, when, when they went to the playoffs, they had some games flexed tonight, and I yeah. feel like they performed well. But well, and the so one, maybe what it is the is one that, that is the, season. the one that um they they just destroyed the Cowboys last year. On, yes, on, that was Thursday night, or was that that was a Thursday night game? Yeah. So it feels like they've got a shot, just because apparently whatever Nagy's whatever that stuff is. Sure. If that's only works hanging... at home on <laughs> Thursday nights. Is that what we're hanging our so head on? So we get that. If we can get some playoff games at home on Thursday nights. Doesn't matter that there's going to be an empty stadium tomorrow Super and it'll Bowl. still be by the Lakeshore? I have um, – I'm not terribly optimistic. No? No. We also talked about um, – the other thing that worries me is it's this is the – anytime Bruce Arians gets to come back, he he just has to take it out on, on the McCaskies. Yes, on the McCaskies yeah. for um, or completely screwing him over. Right, that predates Ryan Bray, uh, Ryan Pace. That's the Mark Tressman hire, right? Yes, that was Phil Emery. Yeah, the Phil whole Emery. idea that he narrowed it down to two guys, both of them with coaching Jay Cutler in mind. That was the number one. That was the number one thing you had to do was get the most out of Jay. And Arians left his interview thinking, I got this job. He called, he told his wife, we're going to Chicago. I think I can win with this team. It's going to be fun. And then they hired Mark Trussman, and Arians is rightly still pissed, just like the fans are. Well, Trussman did get good production out of the quarter. We discussed this, that it was, and he had faults as a head coach. I don't know that, I mean, remember the Bears, that's the only Bears team where the shitty defense sabotaged but him. i mean if you remember bruce's um bruce was the coach of the year right as in a, as a right. as a, a because because pagano. current yes current very defense coordinator chuck pagano had leukemia arians takes over he's the freaking coach of the year so the bears instead of hiring arians like no no we're gonna hire the guy that got cancer and then sort of bottomed out instead of you why why get a guy on the rise when we can get a guy in the bottom well, I think honestly, if unless Trustman wore a hat to the interview, I don't know how you hire. I mean, you got to look at that hairline, and you're just like, okay, you know, I know enough to know this isn't going to work. Yeah, in retrospect, it's obvious. I I didn't know if it was such a horrible hire at the time, to be honest with you. He was an offensive guy, and he did get. Remember, he threw, threw McCown in there that first year, and they were still putting up points and yardage. He was just a clown, though. I don't know. Is Arians a good head coach? I mean, he had success in Arizona, and he's doing well with Tampa. 
Um, I don't know. He's fun. Yeah, he is. Um, so that I guess would be the, and it's really funny to listen to him. He, he does not, he's just, I'm sure Tom Brady thought, all right, I'm leaving. I'm the greatest quarterback of all time. I'm leaving the Pats where my Mm -hmm. grumpy head coach Mm -hmm. only would ever begrudgingly say nice things about the way I played. He goes to Tampa, and Arians will not say anything nice about Brady. He just will not. Does, no, he just doesn't do it. He's clearly, trying to motivate him the exact same way mm. that Belichick did. Um, in fact, the only time, like when they threw the five touchdown passes, he talked about, yeah, well, it was, you know, it was great. You know, the offense worked. We got guys open. He didn't mention Brady at all. The first week when the Bucks didn't play well, he basically blamed it on Brady. Wow. And I have a, it. It has to be that. It has to be. Is that like a requirement? Some like, sort of like, like Belichick told requirement him. For Belichick told him just piss him off. He does right. his best work when he's pissed. Just piss don't him give off. him propers. Don't kiss his ass. Right. Well, it'll be interesting. Uh, I, honestly, if uh, I don't know how much you could read into it, the fact that Brady's forty-two, but he's affected. But it will be interesting uh, to see um, how that cracks. Is it? You know? Is it uh, to see how Belichick does in New England without Brady, and how Brady does without Belichick? Yeah, we see how uh, we saw how Bill did without Cam, and it was not so good. Yeah, he didn't. Ha- I didn't watch the game. He didn't have Cam for that Monday night make because he had to be out. Right? Well, he couldn't. So, so they didn't have to quarantine the whole team, but they had to quarantine Cam. They had to quarantine Cam, and they flew in two different planes. They split the team up in half, and the plane that had twenty players on it had cornerback Stefan Gilmore on it, and he tested positive for COVID last night. Oh, so now great. they might not play this week because now they've got a different outbreak to have to deal with. Well, um, then they got to be. I, I, well, they, they must be thankful as shit that they got the game in, but then also that may have caused. Yeah. So just kick, kicking the can down the road. The uh, the Pats' starting quarterback on Monday night was former Bear great Brian Hoyer. <laughs> I saw you tweet a Hoyer reference, yes. and I laughed. And he, um, you know, so what's what do you think about when you think of Hoyer? You think of a guy who was. Uh, physically limited, yeah, but a, a smart guy, a guy, right? A guy, Michigan State, a, a guy. But do you do we think we only think of him as smart because he's been in the league for a while and he's still he's not good and he's still playing? So he, that must be what he brings. Because this it. is what he did. They have the ball at like the fifteen yard line with like twelve seconds to go in the half, without a timeout. Um, he drops back. Nobody's open. He holds it. He holds it. He holds it. He has ample time to throw it away. He gets sacked. He gets up. He signals for a timeout. Oh. That the refs knew he didn't have, so they just run off the field. Belichick looked like he was going to swallow his play. Wow. He so he so doesn't throw it away. Instead, Alex did burn a timeout. Because it's not like he got overwhelmed, and then he's like, oh, crap, i got to call timeout. It was a, it was a cover he had He had yeah. so many opportunities to just wing the ball out of bounds and kick yeah. the field goal. And at the time, I think it was nine it was either nine three or nine six, so that's a big. That's a big. That's deal. incredible. Was he cut the next day? Did no, Belichick he cut still. Him so he starts the second half, and he gets down, almost the exact same spot on the field. It's a third down. He drops back. He takes the sweet time. He's looking around. He can't find anything. He gets hit. He fumbles. They lose the ball. And then Jared Stidham is the quarterback for the rest of the game. Oh, he'll never take another snap no. for Belichick no. again. I is. I do wonder if he – he probably didn't have to worry about getting a COVID test because they probably didn't let him on the plane back. <laughs> they probably gave him COVID. Find a way just to poison him out of spite. 
for that performance. So, so he's probably available. So if the Bears want, okay, um, all right, the Bears want, they can activate. They can have four quarterbacks active. Um, now the Tyler yeah. Bray is on the active roster. Oh, exciting! Is one more is one more step closer to playing. So I don't want to repeat the podcast I just did, but I'd like to get your take on this. So when the Bears on Sunday, word comes out that Bray, it had already been weird that they kept using, and the number is shrinking. So the practice squads are bigger this year. Because of COVID, you can keep you can stash more guys. Yeah. But every the first few weeks, you could protect a certain number of guys, and other teams couldn't sign right. them off. They couldn't do the okay. We'll take this guy, and if we put him on our active roster, we get to keep him. There was a number right. you could protect, and so in the first, it was like it was like five or six guys the first week. The Bears, one of the guys was Tyler Bray. Then it went down. It went uh-huh. down to like three. Then it went down to one, and it was still Tyler Bray that they one, were protecting, all, all, like totally protected. Right. So then this last week. Protections apparently are off, so okay. they act. So they activate him, and this started on on Bears analyst Twitter. The thought that the reason the Bears had to activate Tyler Bray was because they had developed a Taysom Hill like series of plays for Mitch, and it was in case Mitch got hurt running around like a goof, they'd still have a backup quarterback. It didn't make any sense. It turns out it's not true. They don't have it. And even if he did get hurt, they can make Bray the third quarterback, and he's you're still your emergency quarterback. Right, and there's the no emergency. need to activate. No, right. So yeah, I, what I think yeah. is, I think they activated Tyler Bray because if Foles got hurt, I think Tyler Bray was going to play quarterback. It's got to be it. What other explanation? Right, there's would no be? reason otherwise to make him active because he's otherwise, like you say, he's eligible to play as a third quarterback. Yeah. That's the, the only thing that happens class. is if he goes in. Then he, the other two can't play right, again. You can't play. So he, if he gets hurt, then you know you got Pat O'Donnell yes. taking snaps, yeah. or uh, Cairo Ooh. Santos. Oh God, yeah. Please, I'd be happy with that. So I wish teams would have fun with that. I mean, it's, you're already in an impossible situation. Like I'd like to see Khalil Mack play a little quarterback. I think he probably you know could do just as well. Because yeah. then he gets hurt, and then you know you're screwed. Right. What well, well, What would John McKay do? That's the question. Yeah. All right, so one last thing. I don't know why I just thought of this. I guess so. Um, my one my one contribution to uh, college football ever was uh, I was working at a working at a community college. We had a football team, and I was friends with the head coach. And I said to him one day, "I'm like, you know what doesn't make any sense to me is when you guys when the game is in hand and you're just taking a knee, that you take like a wide receiver." And you line him up like ten yards behind the quarterback in case there's a fu- in case the Joe Pisarchik play happens. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why a wide receiver? And like, well, we put somebody fast back there, so we chase the guy down. I'm like, why don't you put a defense like your safety back there? Right, somebody who actually knows how to tackle. And Not you know what? Fast. For the yeah. rest of the time, the guy was the coach. Every time they yeah. went into the victory formation, he had a defensive back as the guy at the back, and I felt completely vindicated. Now, I, what I wanted every time I'd see it was I wanted a fumble. Because right. I wanted to, to prove to that further, it worked. To further validate the workings of Amos Alonzo Dolan. But it makes no sense to me that you put a fast wide receiver back there. Correct. That's a good point. I mean, There's nothing uh, – there, there would be nothing preventing a no. safety in there. Because you know the NFL has weird things about numbers, like certain positions have to be certain numbers, right? Yeah, that you, would not – I mean, hell, uh, Belichick I and mean, Troy Brown played corner and wide correct. receiver for a while and – Devin Hester, of course. Yeah. Well, Devin Hester really stopped playing. Yeah, there's nothing stopping you from having. um, Well, and here's another weird thing. 
what was the thing we remembered the most about Nagy's first year with the Bears on the fact that they actually won games? The arrogance of Matt Nagy. Sorry, my yeah, inner Wayne, Wayne, Wayne Larry. Larry. It was all of the crazy plays where they would play the defensive guys on offense. Oh, yeah. Why did that stop? They did it all the way through like they did last season. The whole season. season. They never did it last year. They didn't? They only did it what the was, first year, and then they stopped. Wasn't that trick play from Tariq Cohen to tie the Giants? No, that went to a receiver. Never yeah. mind. Burton, I think. All right. I, just, I don't know where that went, but obviously that proves the fact that any of those guys can come in on offense. So it doesn't make any sense to me. So that's my uh, that's my challenge to NFL coaches now is if you go in the victory formation, it doesn't make any sense to put a wide receiver back there. Get a guy who's paid to tackle people, and he's your last right. line of defense. I mean, that would take an, ex- an extraordinary turn of uh, bad luck for that. I mean, the whole reason for the victory formation in the first place is the result of right, the Pistarchic play. But coaches do it. They take the precaution. So why not go all the way? Yeah, yeah. But you'll not, yeah, but you'd never see the idea validated, but why not? And the one time it happens, you'd rather right, have a happens once, than a then they'll, uh, all right. they'll have to pay royalties to me. Something to chew on, man. Yep. All right. So I don't even, here's how prepared I am. I don't even know who the Bears play. I think they're on a bye. So they get the Thursday game and then they get a week off. Oh, wow. Week that off would be, followed by an off week. It would make, make them somehow pulling off the upset win pretty epic, getting having a 4-1 record and that much time off. Um, I think would be uh, pretty fortuitous uh, sequence. I'm looking right now at the... Uh, they got uh, duh, 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 duh. no, not a week off, no. but they, it'll be Carolina. Their their buy would be after Carolina. Boy, we're gonna have to start digging deep to go into some Carolina Panthers. Yeah. Well, it's still Steve Smith running all over the field. That's my yeah. I imagine we'll spend a fair Panther, amount of time my Panther talking. Memory. Yeah, it's uh, Panthers, Rams, Saints, Titans. It's a weird. Okay, Stretch. we can talk Houston Oilers when we talk about the Titans, I'm sure. But Jesus Christ, they don't play the Packers until late November for the first time, huh? Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, those would be effortless. I'm sorry, the, the bye is week 11. They put it in the in the schedule. It's not after Carolina. I just suck at math. But well, they play, yeah, they play the 18th uh, against the, the Panthers, which is a Sunday, and then the Rams yeah, on a, Monday night. And, of course, it's a, it's the Packer game. At Lambeau, Sunday night. I just hate those. I hate them. I know. I know. There's something about them. I mean, other than um, r- ruining the Brett Favre jersey retirement. Yep. There hasn't been much good. No. No. They, they, you're right. They played them a lot on Sunday night at Lambeau. Yeah. yeah. And it's never – doesn't work well. Screw well, the NFL. They hate the Bears. And screw the Packers. We'll fill up that hour. Uh, that will not be a problem. Like that might be – we might have to break that one into two two-hour two episodes before each game. <laughs> All right. Well, then, till uh, so yeah, next week we'll be getting ready for yeah. uh, for Teddy Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah. And the Carolina Panthers. Yeah. Till Panther Week. All right. Well, thanks, Mike. All right, Andy. Thank you. Go Bears. Go Bears. Many of us have herpes. 